Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? The year is 1915. The British ocean liner Lusitania was sunk by the Germans. The one millionth Ford automobile rolled off the assembly line. The federal government only spent $750 million that year. That was also the last year that the Bearcats held the, the were the victors of the Victory Bell series here against Miami. 2022, we have some new headlines. Miami football is dead. It's dead. Sunk like the Lusitania. It's done. Luke Fickle, 50th victory for the program. 16 straight takedowns of Miami. Your Bearcats are, in fact, winning the Victory Bell Series. It is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan. I just I want to give you a standing ovation. Meryl Streep gift clap happening right now. A beautiful soliloquy about the Bearcats taking the series lead over the Miami Redhawks. And honestly, Hummer, it, you just did it. You did a good job actually finding a way to get us excited to talk about this matchup, because from where I'm sitting, this has been an immensely boring series the last 15 plus years. There's not much to get up for. This series is spoken about and discussed and debated in the context of, should we keep playing this game? Especially as we move into the Big 12, is there an actual reason we're going to continue doing this other than Luke Fickle's passionate, yearning, lustful desire for tradition and consistency? For sure, 100%. You know, for all the, all the people that I know who went, went to Miami and they say the public ivy, Oh, the public Ivy and the, Oh, it's so much better than this. Well, your football team stinks. And I like to remind you of that every single year for the past 16 years, you've come close. You've fumbled, you've, you've fumbled your opportunities to win this game. So your reward is that you get one home game every four years. And then you have to play a semi home game at Paul Brown stadium congratulations you just make for a weird a weird venue for us to beat your ass uh no i'm actually i'm actually for the series i like it every year i'm a little scared a little bit that oh my god if we lose to miami this is gonna be the most embarrassing thing in the world but then you get years like this year where you know what we don't need them but we added some style points yeah, and those style points weren't a foregone conclusion for us. I think score-wise, a 38-17 victory does not look too bad from our perspective, but this was a bit of a nail-biter through most of the game. And that, that the start of the game in particular was quite... It was less than ideal if you're a Bearcat fan with, with Miami jumping out. I think it was a 17-7 lead uh, before the Bearcats went on to score 31 unanswered. 30, 31 consecutive points against the Red Hawks. So we did put it to bed. It was a solid victory. And I do think you're right. It's the tradition. It feels right. I think this matchup sticks out a bit more and rubs me the wrong way in the context of a schedule full of Tulsa, South Florida, UCF, 
Navy. Like the, the schedule is so lackluster at this point in this conference that as we move into the big 12, obviously a lot of other, you know, power conference teams and programs mix in plenty of, um, you know, substandard opponents keeping Miami is not such a bad thing, especially when you factor in the rivalry component, especially when you factor in that max schools do get frisky. Eventually Miami's had a really rough go of it, but we have seen the likes of Marshall winning at Notre Dame. We have seen the likes uh, of Toledo, you know, giving, giving a fight to some of these big programs in the past. So, you know, I I don't mind it, uh, but it will be nice eventually to have a schedule to a, a more frisky schedule to look forward to in the future. Yeah. The only thing I wish they would do about the series is get rid of the Paul Brown. Like clearly Miami fans 100%. are showing up to this game to fill out that stadium. So it just looks stupid and just do two in Cincinnati, one in Miami, two in Cincinnati, one in Miami. Like I'm fine with that. I'm fine if they get a home game every three years instead of every four, but I don't know. I'm just, I, I wasn't a fan of Paul Brown, even when, like when we played Oklahoma down there the one year, uh, you know, yeah. Tailgating might be a little easier, but the charm of Nippert stadium is why we all enjoy college football and the Bearcats. When you move that to the, the NFL stadium, I think you just, you lose that. And it's kind of one of the reasons we're like, you know, not the, it's an easy, easy. This isn't easy to make fun of, but it's one reason why a school like temple isn't appealing for recruits is because they have to play at the Eagle stadium. They don't have this charm about being on campus, playing in a college stadium, having that atmosphere, you know, the, the intimacy of it. So um, I, I'm it, just not a fan of the Paul Brown, Paul Brown experience for college games. It's anti-atmosphere. Like there's, there's no, there's no other way about it. Playing games in Paul Brown stadium from a UC perspective, it's always a dud. And like you said, we did it against Oklahoma and it still lacked the the atmosphere that you get from Nippert Stadium and and you it's it's not like Nippert's the only school with with an atmosphere it's to say that we play our home football games at Nippert Stadium in a college stadium on our campus for a reason like that's where we can fill up the stadium that's where you sort of get the personality and the aesthetics of Clifton and UC's campus and all the beauty that comes with it so I, I think absolutely keeping the series going I think Justin Williams noted we have one more scheduled matchup at Paul Brown in 2026. Hopefully the next time we're renegotiating this, this deal with Miami, we're doing so in a way that, that gets rid of Paul Brown matchups. They, they make no sense. We don't, there's no place for them and it doesn't, it's not doing anything for the rivalry in my opinion. Yeah. But enough about the venue. Enough about the venue. We could talk a little bit. I don't want to get too much too detailed into the game. We actually haven't spoken since post Arkansas. So since we last spoke, there's been two games. Um, we obviously have this, this victory over Miami to, to note. We also had a 63 10 drubbing of Kennesaw state a couple weeks ago. So the Bearcats are officially now two and one their lone loss coming, you know, at the hands of Arkansas, who has worked their way into the top 10, due to their, their tremendous victory over a, at the time, ranked Cincinnati Bearcats team. You're welcome, Arkansas. And we saw it. We don't, don't think we didn't see you almost blow that game to Missouri State. That would have been humiliating for the Razorbacks. Um, but what it, real quick, Hummer, sorry, no, one more tangent. I think I sent this to your brother. I didn't send it to you. There was a story 
about an incident at the Razorback Stadium this past week. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? No. I'm going to read the headline. It may be a few details from the story. Beyond Meat COO arrested for biting man's nose near Razorback Stadium. <laughs> this is this is via KNWA Fox 24 uh, local reporting in Arkansas. Shout out to CC McCandles McCandless. Uh, a food company executive was arrested on a pair of charges after reportedly biting a man's nose in a parking garage in Fayetteville on Saturday night. I think I told the story on this podcast about the insane, you know, fisticuffs we saw before entering the stadium and how everyone basically, you know, got off their clean punches, caused some damage to the, uh, the solar plex. The old man's chin might have been hurting. His pride certainly was. This tops that by a million. And I'm disappointed, honestly, that I did not get to see a, <laughs> a well-regarded 53-year-old COO by the name of Doug Ramsey uh, attempt to, you know, Hannibal Lecter, some Subaru driving man in a parking garage. No, I'm not, I'm not here to, you know, break people down or, or, or dismantle them or, or, or come off as, uh, you know, mean-spirited here. But have you seen the picture of Doug Ramsey? <laughs> like, I, it has me rethinking beyond me. It has me rethinking everything about it as like, oh, you know, it's a it's a product for vegans and, and hippies and woke, woke individuals. This looks like a man who was, you know what, he's like, I got an idea. I got an idea how we can get these hippie fucks. I got an idea. We're going to make fake meat we're going to sell it in plastic packages like hamburger and we're going to ship it all across the country. This man looks like he eats cows raw. He's he, he just looks like a carnivore to me. Does not, I would not picture him for being an executive at a company that makes fake meat. I don't think you're alone in, in having second thoughts about beyond meat and having this, this situation reframe how you think about this company, their stock price has gone from at one point 112 a share to now $17 or around there. It's tough times for Beyond Meat. And shout out to Boroff for that, that crack research. But <laughs> that probably does offer some insight into what the hell was going through this guy's mind when he um, decided to hop out of his car and maim a fellow Razorback fan. This happened because of a parking garage incident trying to exit. You know when you have to stagger the exit Everybody's coming from a couple of different directions. Usually you just take turns. One car goes, then the other car goes. We, you know, we do normal they human a, they, things. They, they have a name for that. It's called the zipper method. The zipper method, right. Apparently someone tried to, you know, uh, abandon the zipper method. Someone's car struck the other one's tire and, and you know, from there, nose biting occurs. So shout out to Doug Ramsey uh, and his family and Beyond Meat. It's tough times for them. I'm not even sure where we were going, Hummer, but I will say I think we were alluding to the fact that we have a couple. We've had a couple games, both of them relative blowouts. Obviously, the Kennesaw State matchup was just a, an opportunity for everybody to sort of get their shine on. Prater got some some run at the end of the game, and we got to see flashes of of absolute brilliance from him, especially with the legs. Miami was a little bit of a different story. We alluded <laughs> to the fact that we had a slow start. Can we wait? Can we talk about Ben Bryant's legs? 
right? He, his legs move so fast, but his entire body moves so slow. Like to me, it's like I'm watching like a cartoon, you know, where the legs it's like, and then he's just lumbering along, and you're just like, move. And God, he is slow. I definitely didn't get that job for the uh, the running prowess, but we have seen the the arm talent the past two games. We have seen yeah. you know the the talent the uh, the opponent quality went down dramatically. Let's be honest about that. It's also not like Arkansas was guarding our receivers very well. We talked about tight ends and receivers and running backs running open all over the field down in Arkansas. The same thing's been happening against Kennesaw State and Miami, Ohio, and we are seeing Ben Bryant put it on the mark to our receivers. Yeah. Um, the, maybe there's a reason, you know, for everything. And Ben Bryant seems to be, be more comfortable back there. Uh, he's hitting the receivers. He's putting the ball in the tight, tight spaces. And like you said, I mean, yeah, we can talk about the decrease in, in quality of opponent here, but it also says something when we're, when we're looking at our schedule and the toughest opponent that we have on it left is East Carolina. Right. Like, yeah, that's depressing. Like, that's that we, in itself is a top. That's we another all, topic. Yes. But that we is all agree that East Carolina is the toughest opponent on the schedule. No crickets. Perfect. So, <laughs> uh, but no, he looked great. He looked great. What I am surprised at is when they have the opportunity to get Prater in there, they're not, we didn't really. I want to. I do want to see him might be able to take some chances downfield too. I thought he did against Kennesaw State. He went for four, four for four for ninety-two yards against Miami. It's a little bit of a different story. He certainly wasn't in the game as long, not as many possessions. And and I think that his default setting is going to be more on the you know the scampering. I think I, I thought that what we saw against Kennesaw State, what we saw on the ground from him, he's clearly you know he's a he's an electric player. He's exciting. He's, you know, he's someone that I'm still extremely intrigued by, but I also cannot argue with the results we've gotten from Bryant these past two weeks. There is a steadiness to him. There's clearly arm talent, um, 200 yards, three tutties against Kennesaw State, another 300 plus performance against Miami um, with multiple touchdowns. And just his, his talents do seem to suit the the surrounding athleticism that he has you know i know we you lose alec pierce you lose jerome ford you think you're going to lose a lot of offensive explosiveness but now we've got tucker and scott running more routes and and being relied on more to catch passes and the way that they're able to to spread the field vertically it actually suits a talent like ben bryant who can really get the ball downfield well so it's all sorting. It's starting to come into you know picture a bit more about why maybe Fickle and Gadouli decided that that Bryant was the guy to 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 run the season this year. My only apprehension is that this is a one year plan, and you know the schedule is so fucking easy, Hummer. It's so it's so weak. It's so uninspiring that it would have been a nice year to just put Prater in there, put your future in there as an opportunity to say like. This is how this is the guy that's going to lead us into the Big 12. Let's get his reps this year. So my, my pushback now after seeing the first three games of the year, and I understand what you're saying. It's 
that they they you know what you have with Ben Bryant. It's it's more of a known commodity. You do need to win, right? You need to put the team in the best position to win games now. Correct. That is the most important thing. We shouldn't lose sight of that. And knowing that, you know, Bryant's done after this year, right? This is super senior. He's gone. He's not coming back for another round. The job is seemingly, there's not going to be a competition seemingly next year. It will be Evan Prater as a junior. Don't forget, don't sleep on that transfer portal. Don't sleep on the transfer portal. I don't see the transfer happening considering the fact that next year there is no open option. And I don't think you need to go to the transfer portal if you know what you have in Evan Prater. So they knew what they had this year and they also went to the transfer portal. That might be the reason they go to the portals because they know what they have. Well, I'm thinking that they went to the portal because you have a freshman who's a sophomore now. Sophomore, and maybe he's not 100% ready. The third-year sophomore. Third-year sophomore. We're I, gonna and, have... and, here, and here's the thing. I don't, I don't necessarily want to get you know, I just stuck think, in I the mud on the quarterback. There is no quarterback debate. Like there, There's clearly not even a debate this year. I think I'm more talking you know, what crosses my mind. And as I'm watching the season play out and I see that I'm going to, we're going to kind of shift this conversation into the place of how you even experience this weird season where every, there was so much riding on that first game mentally because of the fact that it was easily the biggest game on the schedule, likely the only game we're not favored in and lost it. It was a close game. We could have certainly played a lot better. We've, we've discussed at length the, the missed opportunities that we had offensively. And now here we are playing, you know, Kennesaw, Miami. We're moving on to a home game against Indiana here. I can't help but kind of think like you, you can't help but sort of look to the future because of how uninspiring uh, these matchups are. That said, there's still a lot to play for. Wins do matter. We want to rack them up. We want an American Athletic Conference title. We want to win out the rest of our games. And we want to do our best to put, our position, put ourselves in the best possible position to qualify for that New Year's Six game. That's what we're playing for. And so, and so if Ben Bryant is the quarterback giving us the best chance of winning those games, I'm all for it. I, I'll just always have that little thing lurking in the back of my head that says this would have been a cool year to get Prater some experience because it probably wouldn't have cost us much given who we're playing. I, said, I think that's fair, but as, as the coach and the staff, you do have to put your team in the best position to win. Right now, that guy is clearly Ben Bryant. He has the arm. Like you said, this team is, is really built really well from a wide receiver standpoint. You have, and, and Prater has the wonderful combination of being able to, to seemingly hit throws and, and run. But we haven't really seen him. At, it's like we have and we haven't. You know, a sample size of four isn't, isn't quite enough to know are you going to be consistently hitting these, these guys downfield. Um, and, so, and reliability, I think Ben Bryant is bringing a certain level of reliability to the table that the coaches would love. Every coach wants to know exactly what we're going to get game in, game out. All, all signs point to that being our most steady option. Um, I did want to point out Chuck McClelland. How about, how about Chuck McClelland? A couple of ACL surgeries, a couple of years spent behind the likes of Jerome Ford and Dokes and you know, he's, he's been hanging around, hanging around, waiting, waiting for his opportunity. And he is showing the hell out through the first three games of the season. It was, have they always called him Chuck McClellan? Because all of a sudden I feel like it like took me by surprise this weekend. I was like, is it Charles? 
No, I think Chuck. Sense. I think Chuck is what you get called once you're the <laughs> once you're seizing the most carries. Once you become the go-to back, Chuck. You change from Charles. You to become Chuck. Chuck. Yeah, Dan. I was listening to that first half uh, on the radio uh, to the lovely vocals of of Dan Horde, and and Chuck was being emphasized quite a bit on the ESPNU broadcast. They were bringing up that this is like, oh, Fickle's, you know, 50th win or whatever today. Like the most all time is 53, you know, by by Sid. And and then and then uh God, why can't I think of the Mark D'Antonio's predecessor? Uh either way. Rick Minter. Rick Minter. And one of the one of the ESPN hosts basically shuts him down and be like, dude, it's basically like paraphrase here. Like, Dude, why are we talking about this? He's clearly going to pass on this year. <laughs> and I got, I did get a chuckle out of that watching the game on TV. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, if I could find those odds in Vegas, <laughs> I, I'm definitely taking that. Luke Fickle will become the winningest football coach in Cincinnati Bearcats history this year. <laughs> yeah, it's happening. There's no denying no. it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I actually do not think we're going to lose another game. I think we're... Arkansas is going to be the only loss on a schedule. And my hot take for the season is we're not going to get a New Year's six bid. Yeah. Despite winning out. And that, and that seems more based on last year, we worried about the opportunities that existed to elevate our ranking. And that was a year where we at least had road games at Notre Dame. Uh, I've talked at length about my, the fact that I think that school is complete, complete hype. And that if you want a big win and you don't want to necessarily have to work as hard for it, figure out a way to play Notre Dame. That's, that's the school to target. Um, but additionally, at least you had, you know, a Houston team that was racking up wins. Central Florida obviously fell off the map when D- Dylan Gabriel got hurt and Gus Malzahn did Gus Malzahn things. Um, so we, we struggled with finding opportunities for big wins last season. And it was all about, Whoa, we're not beating these teams by 40. We're blowing it. This season, it seems even worse. You just said the best remaining team on our schedule might be East Carolina. That's a disaster. Mm-hmm. Well, my, my reasoning here is BYU sits ahead of us in the rankings. We've also had <laughs> Appalachian State. <laughs> Who? If, if I'm not mistaken, did you see the end of the Troy game? I did see the end of the Troy game. Let's let that sink in. Troy, right? You come in, you take down AM, right? You come back home to Troy and you throw a Hail Mary that gets tipped. I don't know if you want to say tipped, batted up into the air for your catch to win the game. Like, okay, still getting more votes in Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think you said this to me in a phone call, but it was sort of like, we are conveniently, we're, we're ranked high, top 25. We're a tough, a tough road out um, at, or a tough home opponent for Arkansas. It's a game where Bearcats start horribly. Offense look like, they, like they've never played football. And then turn it around in the second half, go on to score 24 points in that second half, lose by seven. We're a couple stops away from really being in that game. And now we're not going to sniff the top 25 for a while because we no longer, they no longer, no longer, no longer have a use for us. Like it's not convenient anymore. There's no story. We're not a team that's pursuing the college football playoff. There's no historical precedent being set. 
it's going to be hard to work our way back in there. And, and to be fair to voters, you know, a victory, at Kennes- a victory against Kennesaw State, a victory against Miami, those, those aren't going to cut it. Now, if we invite Indiana and Nippert this weekend and stomp them and, you know, leave them with a red ass, like this is, it, you might start seeing us get more votes at that point. But I do think you're making a very valid point that there's multiple teams we'd have to pass in order to get that NY6 invite. I mean, it's definitely still in play. It's just that's my, I said, red hot take here. that I think we'll win the conference and I think we'll be ultimately shut out of, shut out of that. Win the conference um, with no additional losses. Win the conference with one loss. Arkansas. Uh, yeah, one loss. We're going to win out. Zero conference losses, one loss on the record. Yeah. Uh, the spread for The spread for Indiana is since he favored by 16 and a half. Whoa. Uh, I'm taking it. <laughs> taking the Bearcats for a cover? Fuck yeah. How are you? So we haven't actually had a chance to talk about this. Michael Boston, former, I guess he's, he's a for real Bearcat Twitter celebrity, former contributor for a brief amount of time at Bearcat Journal. Also just a, a pal, just a good guy. Just someone you like running into at a tailgate, drinking a couple beers with. He started this gambling pool that he, he thought of us when he set it up because of the gamble, gambling talk we did with Sam last year. Rest in peace, Sam. I don't, I don't know where he is. He's not actually dead, folks. He's just he's gone. I don't know where he is. Can't find him. But this, this whole competition allows you to sort of buy in. You get these 10,000 shares and 10,000 units to essentially gamble. And you can make as many or as few bets as you want, as long as you're allocating and, and making, you know, allocating 500 units a week, I think is what it is. It's been fun. How are you, how are you doing so far in this? Do you have, do you have a method to your madness? Are you flying by the seat of your pants? What's been your experience so far? So first off, I'm sitting ranked third, tied, tied for tied for second in the pool uh, with a three, three and one part of my Part of my uh, method to my madness is literally trying to find the <laughs> underrated games and betting them relatively heavy. Uh, I think my big loss last week, though, was was taking the, the Bearcats to – that might actually have been real money. I, I got the Bearcats at 23 and a half. Ouch. And I was really hoping for that backdoor cover uh, <laughs> on, on the real money. That didn't happen. I'm like, I'm sitting here thinking in the third quarter, I'm like, I'm feeling pretty good about this, right? Two, two TDs, right? And, and, and we're covered. And we just keep like, you know, turning the ball over, fumbling, getting stopped. I'm like, what is happening here? What is happening? <laughs> just cover. Sam's is, trying to talk me off the ledge. It is good to see though. So you're, you're number three right now. You're tied for second. You have, you're up to, you've made 3,750. I'm sitting in sixth. I'm at 11,750. That's after a huge parlay win where I picked four in the NFL. I think I picked Tampa Bay to cover against New Orleans and then went with underdogs like Jacksonville uh, and a couple others. I'm not going to go back and look it up, but it's gone well for the two of us. I'm seven and nine on my picks. You're three, three and one. Our gambling expert. I hit a four game parlay. That's what happened. That's what what sent me over. I said I had the Oklahoma at minus 11. By the way, easiest money of the weekend. Was Oklahoma? Oh, my God. I I put like, I think like 100 and wasn't too crazy, but $150 of real money. Then on top of that, DraftKings had to double your profit. (laughs) 
on it. So I got to double the odds on, on the Oklahoma covering at minus 11. And it was like 35 to nothing, 35 to seven by halftime. Um, Ohio State covering against Toledo, Virginia minus 320 over Old Dominion in the over of 51 and a half with the Cincinnati Miami game. Pretty I impressive. Was, pretty impressive. See, I, I just I wanted to point out that our, our, our gambling expert who has since disappeared and I guess doesn't want to come on the podcast anymore. He you would think he had a kid. He, he's 27 and 27, 34 and one high volume shooter. Guys getting off of shots. Ricky Davis, Nick Young, just just getting shots up down at 8,500 8, units left. I also want to make note, because if you look through the records, you can see a lot of us are really bad at picks. We get a lot of picks wrong. Most of us are getting far more wrong than we get right. There's, a, there's an outlier. That outlier is AC Smith 37, who I'm fairly certain is Barfly Aaron, who I'm fairly certain is Aaron Smith of Bearcat Journal. Uh, a regular podcast, I think producer host. Uh, he has he wears a number of hats. He's made twenty five correct picks, eighteen wrong. Has lost money. The allocation, the 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 units allocated are are a bit off there. But God, Aaron, well 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 done to you. Good job. Anyway, it's it's probably boring to talk about gambling. We will try and get it back um, in terms of how we feel about certain lines. So, are you going to dabble? Are you really going to throw some units down on UC covering 16, you said, against Indiana? 16 and a half. Absolutely. I got I to gotta be honest. My gut tells me go with the dog. Go with the dog. Oh, I'm probably, I might even take the over too. I don't see, I, I'm, not, I'm not worried about the money line. That's not what I'm saying. But I am, I am thinking that that line is distorted by a close victory over Western Kentucky, but that's a program that has historically been frisky. And I don't necessarily think we should let that influence us too much into thinking that Indiana can't stay within two touchdowns. Terrible Illinois, 23-20. Western Kentucky, 33-30. I'm, I'm just not, I'm not scared. I'm not scared of the, uh, the Hoosers having to fend off the Hilltoppers. Um, I'm just, I'm not for it. We got Nippert stadium. It's going to be rocking. And if I'm not mistaken, this is going to be an, uh, a three thirty tip. So we're going to get feisty nipper, not quite nip at night, but feisty, feisty three thirty PM Nippert, you know, all day drinking in a parking lot. Um, by the way, from Cincinnati fans, let's just, let's just keep it classy to any Indiana Hoosier fans who may make it to Cincinnati. Like, do they even try, do they travel? Like, Indiana do they travel. Do they, do they have football fans? Lines? I thought everything was basketball. I thought they didn't have a football fan base. Yeah. Everything so is the world revolves around basketball down there as it used to here, but things have changed. Um, I'm, I'm taking the home environment. I'm taking the coming off of two, two, two games where the team is playing well. They seem to have started to gel. And for as bad as the first half was defensively, against Miami. I think both those Miami touchdowns came off of, of turnovers from the offense, um, a f- you know, fumble. And a, and well, the first drive, they went 75 yards down the field. That's it was true. scripted. It was well executed. They, they got it. They threw like a 36 yard TD. But we shut them out. We shut them out in the second half. Yeah. And it was like 2.2 yards of play. I mean, it was, yeah, an it, ab- was it was a resounding was smothering. Yeah. And I expect the defense. You, I guess you always expect the team to get better as the season goes along. 
as Fickle and Trestle get more comfortable with the talent on this team and where to put people and how to mix and match these these guys, I do expect our defense to lock in more and more as the season goes along. How how is Indiana? How is the the football fans that do exist? How are they reacting to the uh, Michael Penix Jr. revival that's happening at Washington right now with him throwing for nearly four hundred yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, and put a whooping on Michigan State at home to move to three and zero, and now they're in the top twenty five. Penix has Washington back, and this is a guy that looked lost last year at Indiana, bad look, bad look for their program. Terrible look. Uh, terrible look when the Pac-12 looks like it might be better than the Big Ten. <laughs> Ouch. Minus Ohio State. <laughs> yeah, we're not talking about you. Whatever. <laughs> anything else you want to uh, get into on the football front, Hummer? Anything else that's uh, tickling your fancy that's warrant dis- warrants discussing? You're, you're feeling confident about this game. Not previewing Indiana necessarily. I'm feeling confident. Uh, I plan on... Yeah, I'm not gonna. We're not gonna preview Indiana. I want to only talk about one thing, and it's gonna be quick. Mac Hippenhammer. That's one hell of a name, Hippenhammer. It was. It was fun to hear on the radio. It wasn't fun to hear on the radio because he was slicing and dicing early. Hippenhammered Bush all day long. <laughs> Can I? I don't know what he looks like because all the plays I saw were on the, I, I was listening on the radio. That's how I, li- I experienced this game. Hip and hammer. If I was going to describe him, I'm thinking five ten. basically he looks like Wes Welker. Am I wrong or am I right? I think you're way wrong. <laughs> you, you're, you as far wrong as you could <laughs> ever be. Completely. <laughs> I was off. Wasn't right. Uh, Hip and hammer. All right. First off, it sounded like a guy who would be, you know, walking on at Rudy, walking on at Notre Dame. Wes Wilker, Wes Wilker looks more like Rudy than Mac Hip and Hammer for sure. Uh, Moving yeah, on. Way, way off on that one. Uh, but man, he he torched uh, he torched Bush on the first play, and it like Bush on the first like deep ball, and Bush trying to trying to block it didn't even turn around to go for the ball. Just tried to basically pass interfere and push hip and hammer like straight in the chest and push him down, and he caught the ball falling down into the end zone. And uh, I'm sitting, obviously you're you're irritated, you're pissed off as you see him. I'm like, that was a pretty damn good catch. Yeah, it sounded like he was he was giving us the business there in the first half. Yeah, so either way, that's come on, come on, Bush. He did make I, up for it. He did I make do, up for it later in the game. He kind of settled down in the coverage, and and I think he did a decent job. So way to way to way to totally redeem yourself. But I thought that was just a funny the way he he tried to take him down, and he he pushed him basically into the catch. It's funny seeing us have to adjust as fans to the fact that you your secondary will give up the occasional big play. And Great that, point, actually, now that you're talking about it. Why isn't JQ getting more looks at, at times? I feel like that's a guy that we – you're talking about wanting to take a chance on someone. Like, you know, why aren't we putting uh, Prater in, you know, to give him the three years, let him go, and, and let this – you're talking what about was, a, Do you have any idea what his snap counts look like? I mean, that's not something that's as easy, easy to track. Uh, the, the pro football focus 
the Pro Football Focus account might have expired. We may uh, have not re-upped that for this year, so I don't have the snap counts on that. But we need we need I, people to we need people to buy more merch so we can afford our. <laughs> <laughs> Please, sir, can I have some more? Um, I would chalk it up mostly less to a, a JQ problem, more to the fact that. A, that's a really difficult position to get on the field as a freshman. And that I, I kind of compare cornerback to quarterback offensively, where you have to really be on your shit in terms of play recognition, experience, strength, quickness, like all there's just so much that goes into being a great and effective cornerback that being able to jump in and thrive as a freshman is a bit unheard of. And we speculated on that being something he could do right away because we had previously seen sauce Gardner do it. it turns out sauce Gardner is just like, you know, a freak. And the, now- man, the man's, the man's perfect. All right. He has one tackle in the season. That tackle was a sack. There you go. <laughs> I, I do know they brought him off the edge like that. And uh, it, it was, you know, flashbacks of sauce. I'd say that he, you know, he's, I think I've seen him on the field. I just don't think that you're necessarily seeing him as a go-to barring injury uh, to a guy like Bush uh, or, you know, but the depth chart is definitely not, which we're definitely not advocating for. (laughs) No, we're not advocating for any more injuries. Renfro van. I've had, I've experienced enough trauma this year. We can, we can go ahead and pump the brakes there. All right. Well, let's, let's move on to to the next fun topic. I'm going to, can I introduce this one? Right. Yeah. Wes Miller, Wes Miller, Uh, man. It's gonna be uh this is this is gonna get drooly moist. I, I'm just feeling very excited about what's happening right now. The whispers on the U, on the UC basketball front are are getting out of control, frankly. Um we obviously did a an in-depth celebration about what it meant to land Rayvon Griffith. I think that was like six months ago now, five, six months ago. And four-star recruit, local to Cincinnati, plays AAU basketball with Bronny James. You know, just someone that, someone that kind of reinvigorated a fan base that so desperately is looking for star talent to come back to the basketball team. I've told you about my excitement over Daniel Skillings, Josh Reed. I think both of those guys are going to be excellent for the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program. But Griffith was the the first real, it was the first player we've landed under Wes Miller that is sort of changing the conversation about the type of player we're going to go after at UC. After Griffith, you start hearing that Wes Miller is going after this top-ranked point guard named Isaiah Collier. That point guard has now ascended to number one in the country for the class of 2023 in some ranks. You're also hearing about Jizzle James, a four-star point guard, son of one of my favorite players ever, Edrin James. You're, you're hearing about Flory and the fact that he's a top five guy for 2024, and there's a bunch of noise there, and crystal balls coming out. Wes Miller is making ridiculous noise right now on the recruiting trail, and not enough is official to really blow it out and celebrate. We're not popping champagne bottles yet. But there is a lot, a lot of noise, Hummer. All right. 
I just want to get giddy on the what ifs before I point out the the, the, the real the real kicker of what I'm enjoying about this this run of of name dropping that we get to hear from the recruiting trail. But are you picturing in three three years the starting lineup of Josh Reed, Daniel Skillings, Isaiah Collier, Rayvon Griffith, with topping it off with a center? Flory. <laughs> oh, Hummer, you're picturing Isaiah Collier playing college basketball in three years. <laughs> oh, Hummer. <laughs> oh, Wait. Hummer, he's one and done. He's the kind of player you get and say, we're going to the final four that year. Hummer, in 2023, <laughs> in 2023, Hummer, we are adding. Rayvon Griffith to a squad that's also going to have Daniel Skillings. It's going to have Josh Reed. It's going to have Victor Locken, Sage Tolentino. It's going to have, um, I mean, shit, Landers Nolly could come back for another season. There is depth on this roster already. You're adding Rayvon Griffith. Then let's say you had the number one player in the class in Isaiah Collier, a point guard who's about 6'3". I think he may have grown to 6'5". He's ridiculously talented. He has vision. He's not just a scorer. He's the kind of point guard that is facilitating and running your offense. He's a a John Wall-esque point guard in terms of the impact he could have his freshman year. You would also be adding his friend from high school, a uh, Arrington Page, 6'9", center slash... Power, power forward front court player, explosive athleticism, a four-star guy. You're adding another point guard with decent size, great athleticism, high defensive motor, Jizzle James. All this is to say, and hang on, before I, before I go on, there's one more guy that if we add him and he reclassifies, Flory, if Flory is added and then reclassifies, and becomes 2023, which I'm not even sure is on the board. I, I've talked to a couple people where I'm like, is that a thing? Can we do that? And I think most people think it's not actually likely, but I guess it could happen. We instantly shift our conversation from making the tournament to how deep are we going? Is it going to be an elite eight or is it going to be a final four? That is ridiculous talent that's being recruited right now by West I Miller. Would, I actually think if, if that's the case, if, if Florida were to reclassify, I don't think you're saying how deep you're saying, all right, we're favored to win the national championship now. Right. Like <laughs> this is like John Calipari, you know, first few year Kentucky teams were like, you're just assuming they're going to win. Right. The only difference is they're not going to choke and only win one. Right. They're going to be, you're going to see West Miller holding a finger to one, not one, not two, not three. Um, Dude, it's insane. But then when you look at the the guys that they're recruiting beyond that, so like you're you're talking, you're going through the the ridiculousness of what is what could turn out to be the 23 class, and you got obviously Rayvon Griffith, nationally ranked 55th best player in the class, uh, Isaiah Collier, like you said, some cases number one, uh, sometimes low as number four, number 30, the number 37, 52, 53. Like these are the guys that were recruiting. Go back to the 24 class, four, 19, 33, 34, 41. We're taking shots 
on guys and you're seeing Wes Miller going out and recruiting and not being afraid. Like, you know, for all the, for all the, the crap that we've heard over the past of, you know, you go to UCLA, you get to walk through the front door. You don't have to go through the basement. It seems to me that Wes Miller has found the key to the front door to get in and have the conversations you need to have with these caliber of players. And it's not stopping the noise from, from saying we have a legit shot of landing a lot of them. Right. Wes Miller is, is shooting his shot and inserting he's forcing UC into conversations with schools that we haven't been in the conversation with for over a decade. You know, we are competing for guys that are cream of the crop McDonald's all American type players that transform a program overnight and are freshmen that come in and don't just expect playing time. They earn playing time because they're better because they're more athletic because they have more skill and it puts more pressure on your coach. You land those type of players, best believe you are expected to deliver instantly because I am not kidding. When I say Hummer Collier is the kind of guy that goes to an under armor, Steph Curry under armor camp and leaves as MVP. He leaves as the best guy at that camp and it's loaded with talent. He's you're bringing in guys where there's no excuses or concerns about, do we have enough talent at ABC or D position? This is how are you getting these guys to mesh and gel as quickly as possible to turn them into a good, great basketball team that can make a run in March. And we've seen Calipari over the years and Krzyzewski over the years, capitalize on this one and done culture land elite talent and they don't just land it i know people love giving calipari shit these guys do figure out ways to get them to gel and get them to play effectively by the time march comes around and they're making elite eights they're definitely making second weekends they're making the occasional run to the final four and i would say calipari probably should have more you know top end success than he's had still has a national title still has multiple final fours. And that's, that's really, that's, that's great to be honest. Let's, let's, let's all be honest. All right. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's take Let's reflect on our own feelings here. If Wes Miller is here for 15 years and wins one national championship (laughs) and goes to three or four final fours, I think we will all, all be willing to put a Wes Miller statue somewhere around fifth third arena. Wes Miller's skull will have been tattooed somewhere <laughs> on my body at that point. His, his beautiful karate kid looking face is probably on my thigh, you know, like inner thigh, super uncomfortable for the rest of my, my marriage. But th- you know, that, if that happens, things are getting weird. Um, Just put him right on your chest. You'll never need to get a vasectomy <laughs> ever again. The, <laughs> The other side of the coin, though, is is Penny Hardaway is a guy who's brought tons of talent into Memphis and they've had rosters where you look at him preseason and you're saying Elite Eight is in play. This is a, a loaded team and it hasn't come together and it's fallen on its face and it's been glorious to watch from afar. And so I, I hope that in 2023 we're having conversations on the podcast about, you know, what size and what finger we're putting our rings on. But there's still a lot to play out. We're just getting excited and, and talking hypothetically here about, about potentially landing guys. The good news is 
Flory Badunga, um, Jizzle James, both of them have different have crystal balls coming to Cincinnati. As of now, Flory's a 2024 recruit. Jizzle James would be 23. Rayvon Griffith, we know, is coming to Cincinnati. And Collier has said he's going to announce his commitment date soon. Wes Miller just announced tonight, uh, per per Brendel, said that um, Brendel said that Wes Miller will be in Atlanta tomorrow to see Collier and Arrington Page both. So we've got uh, it's exciting times ahead, and I think there's there's good reason to sort of follow what's happening with the Bearcats basketball program. I also know that in the coming weeks we've got to start previewing the season's team. You know, there's plenty to be excited about in 23. It pairs with going into a conference that's immensely more difficult than what we're currently in. We should also mention that. Uh, but this coming season, you know, it's an interesting, quirky, mishmash roster of, of guys who have talents, but, you know, you don't necessarily have as many well-rounded players. And given the results we had last year, the recruiting is doing a good job of getting us to sort of move on from how ugly and inept the end of the season was for the Bearcats basketball team last season. Um, there's plenty to still evaluate on the West Miller front in terms of X's and O's coaching, in terms of getting a team to improve as the season goes along. And this coming season will be a good chance for us to see how Wes is able to establish the type of basketball he wants to play and get it to be, to get it to translate to on-court success and on-court results, because we didn't really get that last year. Very true. And uh, you, you got me thinking like, oh, preview the season. So I was like, that's right. I didn't even want to look. I didn't even want to look. The non-conference schedule was released. It's trash. Uh, <laughs> well, we do it. I mean, Hawaii looks good. Hawaii's Hawaii is looks fun. good. Hawaii looks good, but I'm going to take the credit away. I'm going to take the credit away from because that was scheduled before, before, before West Miller was a, was a Bearcat. I know, but West Miller is also factoring that into his scheduling approach. Yeah. Right. Chaminade, Cleveland State, Eastern Kentucky, Northern Kentucky. Can we put Western Kentucky in there? Is there a Southern Kentucky? Can we get all the directional Kentuckys in the fifth third arena this year? At uh, least, at least Cleveland State's not coached by Dennis Gates any longer because uh, that would have been awkward for me watching that <laughs> matchup. Brutal. Swoon. Uh, I, I just I saw this and I'm like, okay, I hope the 20. 20- I'm looking forward to the season after 23, 24, please let us have a much, much better non-conference schedule throughout. I just want Hummer, to see the Bearcats play good Hummer, teams. Think about We're the conference have... schedule in 23, 24. Bring My it. God, man. Dude, bring on the gauntlet. I want Kansas, Baylor, year. national all champions. Year. My guy, Huggy. All year, all year, gauntlet. I don't want this McCronin. I'm going to give you the easy schedule so I can rack up 27, 29 wins and have 10 of them be super easy. No, I want 25, 27 hard earned good wins. That it means no doubt you're in the tournament. No doubt you're in the tournament. Well, we learned last that you year. Get you to, can you schedule get to go and beat, you get to go and play a Duke and beat Duke. You, you can schedule easy games. You still have to win the easy games. And that wasn't always uh, a walk in the park for us last season. So I think it's, that's why I said it's all year. fine and dandy. I want it um, better next year when we have the number one ranked player in the country walking through, walking through the pearly gates of fifth third arena. Let me, let me make a few observations from Bearcat social and content and rumors that are floating around that I've, you know, come across 
you say, kind of, you say bad social? No, no, good, no, just social that social. I've seen. Just social <laughs> just observations I'm making based on the content. Um, Vic Locken has been in the Monster Factory. Vic Locken has put in the work. Vic Locken has got me, has got me excited. I'm still, on, I'm still on board. I've bought all the stock. I couldn't be higher. Vic Locken Revenge, Revenge Tour starts in October or November or whenever the hell the first game is. Um, additionally, Landers Nolly, a bit low key. You know, you don't necessarily see him out front and center in these videos. However, dude's a menace and he's going to be a problem and he's going to thrive in the feature role that he's going to have at UC. David DeJulius still got a lot of one-on-one game. Mixtapes look good. Can he strike the balance as playmaker DeJulius and score DeJulius a little more seamlessly than he did last year? Jeremiah Davenport. The best hype man in the Monster Factory. I'm not sure he's the most monster E in the Monster Factory. That's all. Um, Ezekiel Bay. Guy's big, menacing, impressive. And he's a creator. And he's creative and I'm into him. I'm, I'm a believer in Ezekiel Bay. I'm excited what he's bringing to the table. Um, what about you, Hummer? Anything, anything jumping out to you this offseason? Things that are uh, crossing your mind about this coming team? I my my thoughts so far early season that this team will have to be surprising to to not be equally as frustrating as we saw them at times this last year. Um, so I, I'm expecting kind of a, an okay season, you know. Not great. I, not my bad. thing is, it's not going to be an. It's not going to be a team that looks that great offensively. There's not enough shooting. Nolly will be able to stroke it. The Julius will hit some stepbacks. Other than that, you're just there's not that much reliable shooting on the team unless you really see like Skillings show out early. This team's got to defend better. You know that's Wes Miller's calling card, and we play in the American Athletic Conference, and it's a weak ass non conference schedule, like you said. Like we need to be a damn good defensive team this year. And if we do that, we will win at least five more games than we did last year, just based on the incompetent defensive execution we had down the stretch and getting picked apart and sliced and diced by fucking Tulane. <laughs> uh, I'm going to, I want to give a couple wins on social media, the people who, who just won social. Uh, I'm going to give the first award. I'm going to self-congratulate the podcast. Uh, and I'm going to give Zach Coomer the award for, for best tweet of the day, <laughs> the first official picture of the 2023 recruiting class for West Miller. Uh, basically the picture of the universe, all the stars, just big stars, stars everywhere. Uh, that's a win. I'm giving a win to the Bearcats, go Bearcats football with uh, just posted, I want to say 12 minutes ago, you gotta check this out, Malik Elzy, game changer. Uh, they're they're doing a cover where they say Madden twenty three, press start, and it goes play now. And when you do it, it goes game changer, five star freshman, ninety nine overall. Uh, that's a win. That is a win for Bearcats football Twitter. Congratulations, guys! Congratulations on the hard earned victory. 
I love it. I've run out of steam, Hummer, but goddamn, it's good to be back. I'm happy that I, I honestly just thinking about that conversation about basketball midway through it, I, it dawned on me that I was in a very, very dark place about the basketball team at the end of last season. I was uninspired and I still have concerns and reservations and we need to see it on the court. And there's things we need to see this season. But damn, if some four and five star recruits won't get me right back full mast for the future of Bearcats basketball. Look, there's, there's basically, I don't even know what the saying is, but right. You're, you're shooting a shotgun. You know, you got the pellets flying everywhere and you got targets and you're bound to hit one, right? Something's going to hit here. He's shooting too many shots that all of them are just going to land flat. Something, some of them are going to hit. Some of them won't, but some of them are going to hit. At, the, at this point, we're going to see a Bearcat squad that's going to feature high four stars at a minimum and probably at least one five-star in the next two years. Minimum, <laughs> one five-star. When's the last time we had a five-star recruit? You were seeing say, was it, was it, um, uh, was Lance, Lance Stevenson, was that the last five-star? Lance would be the last five-star. And I would say Tari Eason was a, was a five-star quality player. He should have been five-star, but yeah. But like, that's, that's a decade. That's over a decade for the Bearcats having a five-star walking out on the court. Uh, that's going to be, it's going to be nice. Mm. Looking forward to it, buddy. Let's cut it there, and uh, we will be back next week to revel in the glory of a 15-point win over Indiana. 17. See you, buddy. (laughs)